CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach that takes on each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills to provide creative solutions for their clients. Based right here in Western New York, CTBK is a champion for your business and our community. Additionally, CTBK goes beyond tax and attest services by offering a wide array of consulting and outsourced solutions tailored to meet the unique needs of your business, allowing you to focus on your operational and long-term strategic goals. Whether you're a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, the team at CTBK is determined to help you succeed. Visit ctbk.com or call 716-630-2400, 716-630-2400 to learn how CTBK's one-team approach can work for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And here's Ed McGrogan from Tennis.com. And what that means is Tennis Magazine, Tennis Channel, pretty much everything tennis. Ed McGrogan is a, involved in it, overseeing it, perhaps. Overlord at tennis.com because he's the senior editorial manager and he's a huge bills fan so what better time than to have ed on while we're in the midst of wimbledon jesse pagula has reached the quarterfinals and we're just a few weeks away from training camp starting so ed uh is all in a lather and uh we've decided to have him on no not in a lather i got a little eye roll with that it's great to be one of the friends, you know, finally, Tim, it, it's, we've been talking about this for a while, but yeah, I mean, look, it's, would this not be one of Western New York's biggest achievements uh, from an athletic perspective? Uh, if it, no, no to readers were recording on Monday, but yeah, she's, uh, you know, she's at, she's at the point now where, She's reached uh, the quarterfinals for the fifth time in the last seven slams, and uh, she's come up short every single time at this juncture. Something of another parallel to um, uh, another Buffalo standby that uh, we all know. So it's interesting where where she's at uh, with this, and you know I've talked to her a few times. We can go over all that, but definitely an interesting player, and we've kind of arrived at uh, another big moment for her. So she's ranked number four in the world, I believe, heading into Wimbledon. She had been number three as of a few weeks ago. But help us out here. For the casual tennis fan, I'll uh, see if you can break it down for us, uh, that she is the fourth ranked player by the WTA. Does that mean she's the fourth best player in the world? So I do think that's correct. And it's interesting you say that because a couple of weeks ago, she was in number three. Um, but I think she was put in that top three, uh, distinction purely by the numbers and not by the eye test, because as I alluded to with, uh, where she's kind of hit her ceiling at the slams, there seems to be a strata of the women's game, um, where there's a, a there's a big three, so to speak. I'm not going to compare him to Federer and Nadal Djokovic, but there is a group of three women, Iga Sviatek. Irina Sabalenka, Elena Rybakina, who have separated themselves from the tour. They've won the past four majors, I believe. Um, but to Pagua's credit, she has 
she's been mat- she's matched their ranking point total with just consistency across the board, deep runs across the board. Um, so she was in that position. Um, but I think most in the tennis world, you know, see her as that level below, um, just unable for, you know, a variety of reasons, the lack of which is probably just that pure undeniable weapon that kind of separates all great tennis players from the others that she just hasn't been able to bear, um, against them. So, but yeah, she's number four. I think she's, I think that's accurate where she is. Um, and she kind of has the opportunity to, to write that, to prove people right or prove people wrong where she is. Um, at number four, she's the highest ranked American in men's or women's tennis and has been for um, a good six, seven months now. And I should add that she's also ranked top three in doubles as well. And she plays with Coco Goff most commonly, um, who you know, has transcended the game uh, from the casual fan. And I think Pagula's, you know, I think part of this is that Pagula is certainly known in the tennis world and it's remains to be seen if she can also break through beyond, you know, not only in that space because of her performance, but also to perhaps step out of the shadow of the obvious connection to the Bills, Terry and Kim, et cetera. Um, but, you know, she's a player, she's a late bloomer, I would say. She's just about, she's still under 30, um, really hit her stride uh, about two years ago where it just kind of all clicked post-pandemic. Uh, very flat-hitting game, and when she's on, very tough to beat on any surface. That You hit the ball hard with no margin over the net. I don't care if you're playing on slow or fast, it's going to work. Um, but it's, it's just, she's kind of run into this wall, I would say she's acknowledged that. And, you know, I think it's, I think this is another one of those compelling moments for a player that I think there may, there's more to the surface in based on what I kind of have talked to her about, just kind of some of the things I've described briefly, but it's a, it's an interesting time for her. And, uh, this is a, this is a tournament Wimbledon where I did think going in that, the you know the 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 shine on her is kind of dimmed a little bit after some after a subpar French Open, and the spotlights off her here. It's on some of those aforementioned players, and I thought you know this could be an event where if it all clicks, could go far. She got a great draw, and to this point has done very well. So I think that's a bit of a table setter where we are now. Uh, but I can we can certainly go anywhere else with that too. She's won these past three matches in straight sets by you know, pretty comfortable margins after a hard-fought first match. What do you think about the way she's playing, and does that signal a breakthrough in, in the quarterfinal round coming up? Yeah, she's played very well. Um, you know, I, I think any time, you know, you, anybody who has, I think, aspirations of, of going really deep at these events, you do want to avoid those, you know, marathons in the early rounds. It's It's more pronounced on the men's side where you can perhaps play – up to five sets um, early on, but still advanced. Women's, it's it's a bit more manageable with three as your max uh, output. Um, in the opening round, she played a, a fellow American by the name of Lauren Davis. Uh, very good grass court player, as it turns out. Um, again, at Wimbledon, the big difference, and this kind of ties to everything I'm going to talk about here, is the ball will stay low. 
Uh, you're just not going to get the bounce you are on a hard court or even on clay. Um, so it, being low to the ground, hitting low to the ground is really something that's the secret sauce, I feel like, of this. And Pagula was able to outmaneuver Davis in three sets. And from there has really just been comfortable. She, she no question has had a great draw. The, she has not been tasked with overcoming, you know, a dark horse mid seed player, for example, or hasn't run into someone who was woefully under because of injury. And just, you know, you get kind of an unfortunate break in the draw. And even in her next match on Tuesday, it's against a player, excuse me, a player that she's never played before Marketa Vondrasova, but who hasn't had great success at Wimbledon either. Uh, but she is a former Olympic singles medalist and a former French open finalist. So, will be the toughest player she's faced thus far. Um, but her form is really, I think, is really strong right now. I think she's, I think in these surfaces where we're out at Wimbledon, you don't have a lot of time to to work your way into the grass. Um, there's only three weeks in between the clay and the grass. You don't have a lot of time to figure it out, so to speak. And she's she's done it quickly. And I think part of that is playing that doubles alongside. You just get more reps even though it's not the most pressure-filled match competition, any player I think would say that, um, that does help her, and I think that's part of the story too. She is 0-5 all-time in Grand Slam quarterfinals. If she's able to pull this off and advance to the semifinals, um, how big of a feat is that uh, for her, given, as you say, late bloomer, I think that a few years ago, uh, the fans around Western New York or people who were paying attention to the Pagulas as a family and because her mom and dad owned the Bills and the Sabres and the Bandits and the Amherst, et cetera, et cetera, had this thought of, well, she's a professional tennis player, uh, but they didn't ever think Grand Slam titles or super successful they just maybe thought of her as somebody who happens to play tennis for a living which is a very small percentage and that's great for her but here we are talking about single digits in the world rankings up to number three recently here maybe inching into the semifinal. but i guess what does that mean as as a career maker i mean nobody talks about um you know, all the times they reach the semifinals. When you talk about the great tennis players, it's not how many times they reach the semis. Um, but where, what does this say about where she is in terms of her career, her age, and this as potentially the biggest accomplishment so far, and how much time is left to, to go further? Yeah. So I think personally for her, <clears throat> it's a big step. Uh, I will get to what you said elsewhere in a second, but I, when I talked to her in um, in Charleston before a, a tournament there back in April, um, you know, I I sort of asked her the same question you did in a roundabout way was, um, you've gone deep everywhere. There's been clearly a bit of a glass ceiling. Um, how does that make you feel? Like where where kind of are you? What's your space on this? And you know, she put it pretty bluntly to me that you know, the time needs to be now to, to accomplish these things. Um, she's putting herself in position to do so. She's 
probably doing so at a time where the game is in a bit of transition. You're, you're post Serena Williams, you're post Ash Barty for some of your tennis fans out there. You're post some big players that have just bowed out or retired. Naomi Osaka is a number, another one that's not a presence in the game right now. Um, so for her personally, getting past that point is significant. No question about it. I think if you if you're talking about where does this enter the public sphere, um, this is another part of you know she's she's a person of interest in Western New York for obvious reasons. She's a person of interest outside of Western New York for I think reasons that don't pertain necessarily to the intimate connection we have with the Bills, but that she's this player who seemingly is bankrolled by this unlimited fund of capital. That's something that she's asked about everywhere she goes deals with, I think pretty admirably, just you still kind of have to put in the work yourself, obviously to do this. Um, But I, I think where this story could potentially really pick up its legs is yeah. If she gets to the semifinal tomorrow, it's a big step. Again, she's not playing a player who anybody outside of a, a serious tennis fan would know to a great deal. Now let's say this goes on, you get to a Wimbledon final. Uh, she would have to be the pretty, most likely a pretty serious player before that, likely the world number one Sviatek. You know, that's when the media machine, the hype really starts. And I think you really start hearing about this more. Um, it wouldn't be as if she would reach a slam final at the Australian Open, something like that, where it's a little bit off the radar. Wimbledon is, of course, so much more significant. So I, I think that, and I, and, you know, we talk about her top three ranking. I think you just put it about no one really remembers like a semifinalist, for example, or a straight, you know, deep run. Like number three in the world, yes, that's, I mean, you don't need me to tell you. It's incredible to even comprehend that. But if if she does pair this with a title, a final at Wimbledon, I think that's where maybe this whole career story of hers kind of blooms in a different way. And I think she would, I think she would relish it. I think, I got to think she's a bit tired of hearing about the family, uh, the family finances, the bill stuff. I don't, she's, she's always been very cordial to me about it and has never dismissed it, but she also has, I think, a a desire to kind of strike it out on her own as well. And I think that's part of the motivation of this. And I think that's part of why I'm interested in her a bit, not only as a player, but just as a person too. Being that she's 29 years old, which is a prime age for athletes in many, many sports. But what about in this sport, in women's tennis, where players kind of reach their primes much earlier where is she in terms of her window of whether uh she needs to win now or, or you know later yeah i mean i think there is you know there might be a little urgency to this i don't think it's like if you don't get it done this year you're in trouble because you're over 30 i think the game has generally speaking grown older on both the men's and women's tours i think it's just players train in different ways they do not you see less and less prodigies in the game um, as you did back in the seventies, eighties. Like you don't, you really don't see Coco Goff, for example, I think is the exception now, whereas you were seeing Jennifer Capriati, Monica Sella, Steffi Grapp, players like 
of that historical ilk who were starting their careers as 15 and 16 year olds. So I think the game has grown a bit older. Um, you know, on the women's side, especially you have to consider that a lot of, you know, there's many players want to have families, for example, there's a, there's an inherent thing that just doesn't, that the, the ATP does not have to concern itself with it the most, just, just because of the reality. So um, I think there's, I think there's a good window here of about, let's say, another two to three years, I want to say, if I'm, if I'm going to earmark something as, as kind of that prime window. Like I said, I think the game is in a bit of transition. I think there's a bit of shifting of, of where things are, but I think she's also just playing the best she has. She's had the confidence. And I think to her credit, you know, you look at her stats, you would never think a player with her ranking accomplishment would have only two singles titles to her name. It's, it's bizarre. Honestly, you, you can look, at the top 20 of the WTA rankings. And you could go further than that. And you'll find players that have more than two titles. And she's only won one title at all since the summer of 2019. So it's a very bizarre sort of case where I, I think she, the talent is there, the drive is there, but you know, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a more of a, a mental thing or if it's more just, she's just ran into like, she's kind of extracted everything she can to this point. I think that's again why I'm interested in where this goes because maybe the fact of the matter is that she is the she is at this point and the talent is just there to get to number 4 in the world and that's probably all you can do. But tennis is obviously a, ma a huge matchup game, the any given day cliche all that. So, um urgency I think there is definitely some, but I also think she's got a bit of a window here too for those reasons. Ed, you alluded to it, I think, uh, I mean, not even I think, um, but you didn't really get into the topic, I guess, is what I'm saying, or as I'm about to say, uh, when you wrote your feature for Tennis.com about Jesse Pagula back in April, um, about maybe the potential of her taking over the family business, or certainly getting very involved in it. And Terry Pagula, because of his age, and unfortunately, with uh, uh uh, Kim Pagula's uh, health issues. Uh, if they want to keep this in the family, which Terry Pagula has always said uh, he does, that we may be looking uh, as we watch uh, Jesse Pagula play at Wimbledon, uh, the future owner of the Bills and the Sabres, which is kind of a interesting element too, as you're watching. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, as she's obviously putting in the work, um, from all all accounts, she does uh, a lot of stuff behind the scenes, business-wise. She's really savvy. Uh, she has this relentless work ethic that you wrote about in your feature regarding how she plays all the time. She plays every tournament. Uh, and it's not only every tournament, but she's doing singles, doubles, mixed doubles. Uh, so there's all kinds of uh, things to admire. Or if you wanted to point at nepotism, uh, as the Pagulas and roll your eyes and think as a Bills or a Sabres fan, oh my God, uh, what's going to happen when the kids take over? It seems as though what we're seeing out of Jessica Pagula, Jessica Pagula as a player um, is pretty remarkable in terms of what we may project as the future owner of the Bills slash Sabres. I mean, what are I your thought thoughts as a Bills fan? And somebody yeah. who's been around Jesse Pagula. 
I mean, look, I found it interesting that she was the one to reveal everything about Kim in um, in January. I, I think, <clears throat> you know, that statement there it was more than a statement that those that message could have come from anybody in the family, a collective in the family, a representative. Um, so when that broke um, right after uh, the season and while she was down in Australia, I, I was, I was surprised by that. I, I hadn't talked to her in, in the depth that I have this year before that came out, but I I do think that does, you know, it, it could clue you into thinking like, you know, if she's taking that much of a forward facing stake in the family and everything that comes with that, I mean, yeah, there is absolutely a potential for that. She, she's done some entrepreneurial work of her own. She's like you said, she's, she's been on, she's on the WTA board. Um, she's been outspoken a few times this year about um, there was a huge kerfuffle over after a tournament where the women's player, the women's doubles players were not given the mic to speak after their final, but the men's were, and she didn't mince words about that. And, really hasn't like she could given her status sort of drift back into the spotlight drift away from the spotlight excuse me and not take on you know what arrows may come at her and that, and that additional uh lens on her but she has been you know very i think very willing to be in that position um she's i think at some point when we were talking about kim and that whole message was yeah like she said to me like, yeah, for a while I was wondering like, could I, is, is this where I have to stop playing and, and be a part of this? Um, so I, I think I would be, I'd be surprised if that hasn't entered her mind at, at various points, because like you said, the reality is this, this does have to, this does have to flow down at a certain point or another. So um, I think it's, I don't think it's out of the question at all that that could be the future of this. And I think for a professional athlete who's done things on the global stage um, and wouldn't be sort of cowed by the spotlight, you know, you're kind of growing up with a uh, incredible line item on your resume to be uh, one of the future faces of the franchises, so to speak. So I, it wouldn't surprise me really. Um, and I think, for all the reasons we've talked about the work ethic, the sort of desire for it. I, I think that's completely plausible. It should also be mentioned that uh, Jesse's husband, Taylor Gahagan is the director of corporate development uh, with uh, the bills. And, uh, or I guess I should say that's with Pagula sports and entertainment, uh, which is the uh, umbrella company that uh, has the bills and the sabers underneath it. Uh, and also, uh, Kelly Pagula has been learning the ropes and, uh, Matthew Pagula, uh, studied, uh, sports business. I don't, I don't remember the major exactly, but, uh, he's a graduate uh, of Syracuse university and he's been studying earnestly to be in the, in the family business. So, um, I mean, theoretically, I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't have his transcripts, but, uh, but they are at least uh, they seem to be taking hold. Again, what do we know? What do we really know? 
uh, because we see it in professional sports all the time. Uh, you take a look at the front office directory of of most uh, teams and you see a lot of people with the same last name uh, as the owner uh, working in key uh, positions uh, within the front office and on, in the directory. Um, well, if I could say, I think one thing we yeah. don't know, but I think we could maybe say with some confidence in contrast to Ralph Wilson's family, I don't think there's ever been any indication that the um, Pagula children do not want to inherit the franchises or at least, Maybe oh, I, I think that they're speculate on that, but I think you can't rule that out. But that was that was made very clear by Ralph Wilson to say that that wouldn't happen. And it really hasn't been insinuated in this case. That's 100 percent true, Jonah. Uh, I will say, though, I don't know that they have the appetite uh, or the uh, the love of hockey that their father does. Um but uh, by and large, uh, they this is the the family business, and they are very excited to to keep at it. Uh, yeah, there was just no interest. Well, it was always told to me that if Ralph Wilson had a son, that he wouldn't have sold the team. The team the the bills would have gone to Ralph Wilson's son, but he did not have a son, uh, and therefore Ralph, in his um, old school ways uh wasn't sure that uh women should be running a sports team and so it was going to be put up for sale and whether anybody wanted it or not uh, within the family um good old ralph um can i add something that he had mentioned earlier yeah. he had just referenced um if if jesse pagula were to win wimbledon or a grand slam how much of an accomplishment that could be for buffalo sports and i kind of wanted his take and expansion on that because i wonder about that on on the other side you know she was born here but didn't live here for very long moved down to south carolina and then florida doesn't come back here much in off seasons at least to live here and this sport doesn't allow for like a home event in buffalo to give her that kind of hometown celebration curtain call but from your perspective covering the tour covering the grand slams i mean and being a bills fan what do you think about this as a buffalo sporting accomplishment yeah, it's a good point. Uh, she's really based in Florida. Um, even spends a lot of had spent a lot of time in, in uh, South Carolina as well. Um, and yeah, almost has the the Bills or the Buffalo NY really attached um, in a in you know just for for that sense. But I I, I do think though that uh, you know maybe part of it is because the city is obviously so starved for something. Um, it would be I think it would be viewed all. I think it would certainly be viewed nationally as a Buffalo success story. Um, I think, and again, comparing it to what, what lack of what there is has, has not been in the achievement field. If we're talking about purely championships, um, I think it, I, I think it would have to rate has pretty, pretty damn high on the list. I mean, Wimbledon champion uh, is, in in terms of sports achievements go there there aren't that many higher than that especially in an, in an individual setting too um so you know i i think about that i've talked to you know jimmy arias local another local from grand island um you know he i think he when i've chatted with him certainly he kind of includes pagula in that hometown nest if you will of athletes and um, I think certainly you can nitpick a bit on like where 
how much uh, Buffalo perhaps she is in, in a way. Uh, but at the same time, look, I, she is definitely a big advocate for the area, even if she's a globetrotter and is obviously based in warmer climes because of her, her job. Um, I think she's very authentic with that personally. I, I don't, I don't get a sense of why, of why she isn't um, from my conversations and seeing her interactions. So I think it would be substantial. Um, and I, I think it's, I, I'm curious to see what the town itself, how that would play there. Like I'm not, I'm not in Buffalo. I'm, uh, but I would be curious, like Wimbledon Saturday, like what's the, are we, are we going to bars? Are we going to Elmo's for, to watch this? Like, I'm curious about that. Like, what would that vibe be? Or am I really overthinking it? No, no I think it's a good I, question. I think there would I be mean, some watch parties. Yeah. The yeah. early morning starts, I think, factors into that a little bit with Wimbledon. But yeah, I'm curious about that because I don't think that's happened yet. But if she gets to the semifinals or the finals, I do think you might see a lot of local watch parties and capturing the imagination of local sports fans that way. What day of the week is the women's final? Be Saturday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Well, some places are if you want to go to a bar and watch it. I guess you got to hit up the uh, the bars where people w- watch their soccer. Yep. You yep. got to get there early. Yep. Yeah. But and yeah, I, don't, I, think, I think go ahead, Tim. Oh, no, no. We'll go ahead and finish because I, oh, I want to yeah. flip over to the Bills so we can get all our uh, Jesse Pagula talk out now uh, before we start talking quick. about your passion project, Ed. Go for it, Jonah. No, I just want to say, I mean, there's bars on Pagula properties. So I would think that would be a natural fit for if there were to be an event mm-hmm. like this. And, and and I think there should be, or maybe even the arena itself, because I think the one thing maybe missing from this is the ability for local Buffalo sports fans to gather together and cheer Jesse Pagula on. And, and I don't know, I don't think there's any way for the sport to come here and have a live event uh, to allow for that. So it would have to be a televised watch party type situation. Should there be a parade if she wins? Sure. I mean, the go right after the Bisons to Pagula and you go from there. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it's true. Tennis is tennis is very select where it goes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. The the missing link of this, Joe. I think you made a good point there. Is like, yeah, there's all the Bills Mafia stuff that associated with her. Like, you get a you get an actual tailgate for a tennis match, and then I then I think it really uh, we'll see. I mean, look, if anybody can do it, I I, I know my people can. So that's maybe a good segue. That would be the, it may be people listening to this, although I don't know it would be as mu- as much of a groundswell, but maybe it would be the first domino. But I'll plant the seed of if Buffalo truly wants to establish itself as a as the best sports town in the world uh, with its fan uh, uh, zealotry and it's tailgating prowess than tailgating for a 9 a.m. tennis match uh, and having a big, yeah, I think that that would be a badge of honor. And it's the type of thing that Buffalo fans would show up for too. It's Maybe there's a little pandering involved. But if you truly are a Buffalo sports fan, you better tailgate. You should be jumping through tables, doing all the things. Uh, and watching uh, Jesse Pagula at the uh, Wimbledon final. You said it. 
I, I think that's it's as clear as day. Ed, you've mentioned it as uh, to me uh, as we've uh, communicated uh, in DMs and texts that you do have a passion project that you've been working on. Um, and I don't know if you want to get into it too much here for free. Uh, here on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants, um, about the all-time, well, not the all-time, I'm sorry, but the best McDermott-Allen era wins and losses, the wor the best wins and the worst losses. You've been given this a lot of thought, and um, I know that this is uh, your baby. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, uh, tennis.com yeah. just won't take it. They won't, they won't print this. I mean, they budgets, don't. you know, budgets these days, uh, we don't, we don't, you they know, don't want to, they don't want to post bills content at tennis.com. I think there's a lot of bills of Jace content already coming through this Pagula, but yeah. So, I mean, I think we're at a bit of a fork in the road as well for the bills this year as you know, I'm a card carrying fan i'm not shy about that so but but one thing i was thinking about batting around is just you know i watch every game all that stuff and i just singing back to this allen era that we're in um there's been some you know incredible wins some real face plants over these past few years too where the team has obviously evolved from where it was uh, when I started following the team um, in early 2000s, went to school in, in Geneseo, and that's where I, I picked them up. Um, and from there, you know, uh, settled through the the, the crud um, drought era. So, you know, really fun times there. And then uh, we're kind of, you know, now we're where everybody else is in a bit, uh, a, a bit more high society. So, but I, I've looked back at the past four years in particular and assessed what I deem to be, you know, and not the best wins and the worst losses of, the, of each of those years. And I think the challenge for like a written piece is like, can you just pick one? Uh, can you pick one or two of each? Um, and I think part of these, I think part of why I enjoy doing this is there's obviously a personal element to it, you know. I, I have no problem making a bias if I've been to the game, for example, or if I felt like it just kind of hit more or less for whatever reason. But um, yeah, kind of like there, there's, I think, just been a lot to, to chew on. And before 2023, we're kind of looking to do something with this uh, wherever, uh, open for business, obviously, as Tim has so eloquently put it. Um, but yeah kind of noodling around like the best wins and the worst losses of uh, 2019 through 2022. Okay. So we have a lot of local journalists also listen to this uh, podcast, or at least they tell me they do. They might be lying right to my face, but uh, there are folks out there who uh, have websites. Maybe they would like to uh, post Ed McGrogan's top, wins worst losses now of course 13 seconds is the worst 13, um what case seconds. can you make for number two all right so if we go so i break this down by year so i i segment each section but but i i do want to we can definitely look at it in totality here so to me <clears throat> excuse me the worst 
if we go after 13 seconds, I think a case could be made for the Houston playoff game, even though we're not oh. in this, we're even though we're not into the uh, the real step up era of of Allen as a player. Um, I, I want to throw out also some some nice contenders too. Um, I, I personally believe the Vikings' loss last year was more damaging uh, from a uh, emotional and uh, every other part point of view than the Bengals lost last year. I think um, I should add, I saw both of those in person, um, even though I'm about six hours away from, from Buffalo. But I think, I think that Minnesota loss is just, is the, perhaps the billsiest of, uh, of, of this time. Uh, it, it really is a nice callback to the, uh, the prior eras. Um, you know, I also want to throw out, um, I don't want to forget the win game. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think that gets slept on a bit because in my opinion, they got one of their best wins and I'm not even going to say the Pats playoff game. I think, I think the, the away game at new England to essentially really save that season. Um, I think that's, actually one of the best wins of these four years. Um, so I think that win game, though, in terms of damaging losses, um, just something I will never truly be able to wipe away as well. Um, and just one more bad loss to throw out there if we're going to you know, toss around the, the, the ball of defeat here. Um, you, you cannot forget the Arizona Hail Mary game um, in 2020. There was... For that year, when I'm assessing it, there's only four losses to to choose from, um, but that one to me is uh, also for you know rip taking the ball right away. The Charlie Brown meme, um, you know, that's almost a it's kind of a regular season version of of 13 seconds in a way where you have this. You have this Allen drive to Diggs. I think about 45 seconds left in the game to go ahead on the road. This this year, this 2020 season, where I think a lot of fans pinned their hopes on uh, the evolution of this quarterback and this team, and it was all being realized. And then in a one fell swoop, um, you know, just some classic stuff there. But yeah, those are there's some like I said. For all they have, for all they have accomplished, there are some real face plants um, over these past few years. I think you got to throw in that Jaguars lost a couple of years back when they were the worst team in the league, and none of the Bills didn't score a touchdown that game or something like that. But I was wondering your take on, and this can apply to Jesse Pagula as well, um, losing and and how that, uh, you know, might build character and resolve. And sometimes teams need to lose in the playoffs before they can go on and win the championship. I mean, do you see any of that going on with the Bills? And is that maybe in play for Jesse Pagula breaking through here in the quarterfinals at Wimbledon? I mean, as the Bills go, as, I, as the Bills go, I certainly hope so. Um, they've 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 done a lot of it, not just historically, but in recent years to um, hopefully you, you, hopefully you do get those build up those calluses to um, to make something. A bit stronger, I, I do hope. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's an absolute comparison to the Jesse Pagula stuff as well here. I I think again, it's it's there is that viewpoint upon losses as they can build character. The other 
side to me is they can compound and just grow more damaging over time. And that's like, it's my worry as a Bills fan. Like, I feel like there's a finite time where we're at right now. Uh, there's, it, to me, I don't, I don't love the term window with it, but I, I do, I do know that there, at least in my opinion, that there is a bit of, there's a only a limited amount of time to get this right. Um, for, for Jesse Pagula, look, I, I think she's, I think it's a little bit easier for her because she is so, <clears throat> excuse me, she has so many more opportunities in such quick fashion to perhaps right or wrong. I mean, she's going to play four grand slams a year. If she won any one of them, it would be, she would be considered an unmitigated star success story um, in herself and for us tennis. The bills obviously have, you know, you have one chance a year to do that. So um, I think that's part of like the worry as a, as a, as a fan of the team, but also such a difference between football and tennis too. It just, um, the opportunities you are given to reset all the time on the tennis court uh, kind of is unparalleled and compared to any other sport. And how do you look back on 2022 and the way that it ended? Um, I think a lot of fans view it as a colossal failure because the bills were Super Bowl favorites and Josh Allen was the MVP uh, favorite uh, deep into the season before his elbow injury um, with everything that happened with the snowstorms and DeMar Hamlin, um, there's two ways to look at it. There is that it was a colossal failure, or as I look at it, one of the greatest seasons in Bill's history. Um, as time goes on, I think people look back on it as uh, pretty miraculous, everything that they went through. Where are you? Yeah, so, I mean – I'll sort of put a bow on this project by making a point about what you just said there. I, when I was looking at the 2022 season, I, I looked at like, what's the best win of this season? Because I think it's, I think it's going to, I think right now it's known for its losses. It's that Vikings loss. It's that Bengals loss, you name it. But I thought as a fan, the best win was week one. And I said that because I came into that season thinking, Jesus Christ, we're here. Like they're on that. They're, they're opening the season on national TV. Like this does not, this does not happen to this team. There was enough good, good vibes coming despite the 13 seconds, in my opinion, at least. Um, and, you know, to me, I, I look at the season as I still have a hard time looking at a team that lost three games in the regular season by three points or less and how you can view that as an indictment on the team. Um, it's just, they should not have won for all the reasons kind of you mentioned in the story you did on this and what you're saying now, there's almost no way this team should have been 13 and three going into the playoffs. They, they, this was a this was a resilient team here. Um, I don't think any of them had even close to their best years um, in terms of individually, but as a unit, it still seemed to come together. And you know, I do take them at their word for saying, "Look, I think that this this engine just ran out at the end." That in retrospect, that Dolphins playoff game was such a red flag that. I don't think fans like myself or others would, would wanted to admit at the time, but 
there's no way that this team barely scrapes by a third stringer at home and blows a 17 nothing lead without that being um, a huge alarm that should be sounding off. So um, to me as a fan, this might be contrary to what you're saying as, as a reporter journalist on the team specifically, like I have a hard time picturing it as, as one of the greatest accomplishments, but I also have it as more of a success than a failure. I think that's where I stand on it at the moment. And I think if this team actually does achieve what it sets out to wins a Super Bowl at some point down the road, that this does get painted. This 2020 dude does get painted in a lot more rose colored lens. It becomes pretty much the, the part of the highlight package that, that accompanies everything as this necessary uh, wound that they had to come over. I mean, I, I may be talking, you know, crazy there, but I do think it's more success than failure, but still just a real, you know, tough to tough to swallow still is honestly. You can almost hear uh, the voiceover on NFL films as they get started on the 2023 season and how great it was if they were to win it all uh, because of where they came from and how the season ended and all the things they learned and the pain uh, that, uh, that was overcome or the pain that was necessary to get them. They had to learn how to learn, uh, lose and suffer, uh, suffer uh, all kinds of things. But, but to add the original premise, uh, that was supposed to be 13 seconds. That was the, you know, the villain origin story that created a Bills championship season. And even going back to the year before losing in the AFC championship game, it's Stephon Diggs standing on the field, watching the Chiefs celebrate. That was supposed to be the loss that propelled the Bills to something greater. So I don't know how many times you can keep, you know, losing before it, it starts accumulating stack up. What's your general mood about 2023, Ed? Uh, mood's pretty good. I, I do like sort of this clean slate offense that at least has been, um, <clears throat> excuse me, discussed, theorized. Um, you know, it's it's really – it's really the first, I think, move away from the this, you know, kind of the offense of the past three years and even dating back a little bit before that. But it, it I, I don't mind that sort of turnover um, on the offense. And um, I think, look, it, it's, it's, I think the offense to me with that is, there's probably some growing pains with it, but I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I, I, I do. And, defense is not going to win defense is not to me going to be the the determinant factor but so much of this does obviously hinge on a lot of health concerns i mean let's see what happens with with Hyde and Poyer let's see what happens with 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 Von Miller obviously um i i think that's a big part of it and i think one of you know one of my worries is yeah are we are we as much as i think turning over the offense is probably a a a nice and necessary jump or are we still holding on to the defense of prior years too much? Like, is it smart to go back to that dual safety route with hide and poor? Like I want to be right and say, that sounds amazing. That would make it an even better story. But um, are we just, are we relying too much on too many things to go right on that side of the ball? Um, Hope Allen, obviously, uh, 
does great again. I, that should come as no surprise, but as any Bills fan can would say, uh, the uh, the tinge of pain will will quickly go to uh, some hope pretty quickly too. So I'm looking forward to the year without a doubt. Well, Ed, thanks for doing this. Uh, it's uh, the perfect time to do it. I'm glad that uh, you were able to make some time. And uh, it's uh, it's been fascinating to watch uh, Jesse Pagula's career because as we referenced uh, earlier in the podcast, there was a time not that long ago when it just seemed like she just happened to be a, te- a professional tennis player. And now here she is climbing the rankings at a, uh, an age that generally you don't see that for the first time. Anyway, um, a splash has been made long ago uh, when you're uh, a professional tennis player, but she's uh, she's in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. And uh, yeah, we will, uh, we will say, I think it's a good, uh, good time as any to get together. So I appreciate both you guys. A lot of fun. Go Bills. Thanks for your insights and your thoughts on uh, on the bills too, and uh, let's not be a stranger. Let's uh, let's keep you in the TGAF. Mm, I'll spit it out. TGAF rotation. Brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. Please do. Let's uh, do it around the U.S. Open right at the start of the year, and let's see what Pagula does uh, from there to now. So I did look that up. The, the final day of the U.S. Open is September 10th, the opening day of the NFL season, the day before the Bills play Monday Night Football uh, in New York, New Jersey, against the Jets. So that could be a some kind of culminating event maybe for Bills fans if those things align. The Pagula family. There's your there's your big chance, Bills Mafia. That's your tailgate moment. Pretty big pretty big parking lots out in Flushing. You could do it right with right where the Mets play. That's a great tip. Ed McGrogan, Senior Editorial Manager at Tennis.com, which means Tennis Magazine and Tennis Channel 2. Thrilled to have you here with us on Tim Graham and Friends. Thanks a lot, guys. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. We'll be right back.